Well, mainland cheese claims that good things take time. Have you heard that one? That's assuming that over time the cheese gets better. Now, this is true for cheese, it's usually true for wine, and it should be true for people. But have you ever noticed that there's a whole bunch of things that don't get better with time? In fact, they only get worse. One of the greatest culprits of this is the infamous McDonald's McFlurry. Now, I'm old enough to remember when the McFlurry came out. Anyone else? Just showing your age there. When it first came out, oh my goodness, it was a glorious phenomenon and a real treat. The cashier would grab a cup, she'd fill it with ice cream, scuffle over to the big McFlurry machine, putting the cup down on the shelf, she'd look over and say, what flavor would you like? You would pick mini M&Ms, you'd pick Flake, or if you knew Jesus, you'd pick Oreo. And with a slow pull of the lever, your topping of choice would come tumbling over the ice cream before it was subjected to that big, twirly, plastic, spinny thing. Everything was mixed together so that every bite was magic. No bite had just ice cream. No bite had just topping. But together, it was a divine experience all the way through. Well, the last time I had a McDonald's McFlurry, I have to say I was utterly disappointed. It was just plain ice cream with a little smidgen of summon summon on top, and that was it. It was stingy. It was average. Nothing was mixed together. And I remember thinking, man, what's happened to you, McFlurry? After all this time, the old McFlurry wouldn't have done that. The old McFlurry knew better than that. The old McFlurry not only hit a spot, but created a spot that we didn't even know needed hitting. And now after all this time, after years and years of development and customer reflection, it's only gotten worse. And to make things worse on top of that, they charge $5.40. That is an evil beyond inflation. That's ridiculous. It's literally soft serve and like a little bit of topping on the top. Uh, I don't know if you've ever experienced the McFlurry of late, but it's definitely not the same as the old one. Things have changed and it's gotten worse over time. Well, Paul in the Bible, he has a similar experience, but it's with Christians in Galatia. And we're going to pick up this passage of Scripture. It's a little long, but I promise you the rest of my 400 Scriptures are really short. Okay, so Galatians chapter 4 from verse 8 says, Before you Gentiles knew God, you were slaves to so-called gods that do not even exist. I love how straightforward he is on that. So now that you know God, or should I say now that God knows you, why do you want to go back again and become slaves once more to weak and useless spiritual principles of this world? You are trying to earn favor with God by observing certain days or months or seasons or years. I fear for you. Perhaps all my hard work with you was for nothing. Dear brothers and sisters, I plead with you as I live so I plead with you to live as I do in freedom from these things, for I have become like you Gentiles, free from those laws. You did not mistreat me when I first preached to you. Surely you remember that I was sick when I first brought the good news, but even though my condition tempted you to reject me, you did not despise me or turn me away. No, you took me in and cared for me as though I were an angel from God or Christ Jesus himself. Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt then? I am sure you would have taken out your own eyes and given them to me if possible. That's weird. And he says, how have I now become your enemy simply because I'm telling you the truth? Now, the book of Galatians is written to a bunch of churches in Galatia where Paul went on a missionary journey. And so he's speaking to believers. Now, here's the backstory. Christianity began as a Jewish messianic movement in Jerusalem, but the message was for all people. And so the message very quickly spread. And by the time Paul gets there on his missionary journey, there are just as many Jews as there are non-Jews in God's Christian family. Now, historically, the covenant people were focused on one ethnic group, which was the Israelites. And these people 
people were set apart by the laws within the Torah. The Torah is just a word that explains the first five books of the Bible that has a lot of laws and restrictions and regulations and things like that. These were things like the circumcision of males, eating kosher and observing the Sabbath. So there were many Jewish Christians that believed in order for these non-Jewish people to actually be part of God's family in a proper way, they too had to follow all the rules in the Torah. They didn't. But that's what he thought. So some of these Jewish Christians were going around all the non-Jewish churches trying to undermine Paul. And they were trying to insist that these males get circumcised as adults. No good. <laughs> Turns out that some of them did. And when Paul hears about this, not only is he heartbroken, but he's angry. And this letter of Galatians is what comes out of that. He's frustrated because the people that he's talking to, there was a time when they listened to his teaching. They welcomed his correction. They were okay with a level of rebuke. These Jewish Christians that were still all tied up in the law were saying one thing, but Paul had made great ground with these non-Jewish Christians in opening their heart to what God's heart was for them and the church. These are the very things that Paul was preaching against, trying to bring correction. And Paul was basically crying out, saying, what's the point in the gospel of Jesus, if it doesn't result in us living in freedom under His grace as a son or a daughter of God rather than a slave. He worries that all His hard work and the progress that He's made has all been in vain. In other words, he's thinking, man, you Galatians, you used to be on the right track, open to my preaching and correction, but now what's happened to you? You've changed. You're now hostile towards me, and it seems that it's not me you have an issue with, it's the truth. I remember when I first became a Christian, it was about 13 years ago. It was against the grain of culture. It was against the grain of my friendship group. In fact, it was highly inconvenient to the life that I was living. But the power of God transforms lives. And when He knocks on the door of your heart, none of that stuff matters. I couldn't wait to be in church every single Sunday. I was at Oxygen Youth every single Friday as a leader. I went to the junior leadership program. They were 13. I was 20, but I couldn't wait to be there. It was run by Steve Green, who's now our senior pastor. He was the youth pastor at the time. And I was just there with a whole bunch of other misfit kids and leaders. I was so hungry for the Word. I desired to learn, and I was intently focused on allowing God to transform parts of my life. It's that passion that comes with that first love moment. You know, when we're impacted by God's grace and love, we say, God, search me. Reveal things to me. Transform me from the inside out. As I reflect back, man, I was so thankful for teaching, for correction and guidance. And Paul is speaking to these non-Jewish Christians, and he's wondering what changed for them. They used to be like that too. He's reminding them that when he first preached to them, they welcomed it, they respected it, and they had a good attitude towards it. But then he says, where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you felt back then? He's like, where is your openness gone? Where is your teachability gone? Where's your humility gone? Why are you closed off now? You see, the problem is that they took their eyes off God and became fixated on themselves. They became more focused on what they could do for God and observing the law and seeming religious and, religious and righteous among each other rather than looking to the finished work of the cross and allowing God to transform them from the inside out. They thought that their own ways could make them right with God. Amazing how Nat just shared that just a few moments earlier. That wasn't some sort of spiritual collusion. <laughs> That's just God saying the same thing. Because in Proverbs 14, 12, it says, There is a path before each person that seems right, but it ends in death. Sometimes we think our own ways can make us right with God. And Paul's crying out, why have you fallen back into the old way of trying to make yourself right with God instead of being corrected by Him? 
These guys had become so focused on being directed by man rather than corrected by God, and it led them back into bondage. And Paul says, am I the enemy? Am I, am I the enemy now that I'm just presenting the truth to you? Is it me you have a problem with, or is it the truth that you're rejecting? My question for us this morning, for us to reflect on is, have we accidentally along the way become like the Galatians? Where has your hunger for the Word gone? Where has your desire to learn and be taught, your willingness to grow? Where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you once had in response to correction and teaching? See, our response, our attitude, our openness to correction is a key component to our growth, our spiritual maturity, and ultimately the freedom in Christ that we experience. But this is what I see far too often. I see an immediate response of defensiveness, usually accompanied by, don't judge me, or or, only God can judge me. And we so quickly confuse good godly correction with uninvited judgment. You're right that only God can judge you, but we shouldn't be so carefree on that. The Bible says that it is the fear of God that is the start of all wisdom. But far more important than some doctrinal technicality on what judgment is and who gets to do it and what it all means, it's that attitude of defensiveness that speaks volumes about our attitude towards growing. An attitude I bet we didn't have when we first experienced the saving grace of God. I wonder this morning if we could get our joyful and grateful spirit back. If we could rewind to that place. If we could humble ourselves before God again. See, when we allow ourselves to be corrected, what happens is we expose ourselves to opportunities and developments and breakthrough that we otherwise couldn't have seen with our own eyes. Hebrews 12 from verse 10 to 11 says, For our earthly fathers disciplined us for a few years, doing the best they knew how. But God's discipline is always good for us so that we might share in His holiness. No discipline is enjoyable while it's happening. It's painful. But afterwards, there will be a peaceful harvest of right living for those who are trained in this way. Don't confuse judgment with challenge. It is good for you and I to be challenged. It is good for us to be corrected. It is good on occasion for us to be rebuked. And so the obvious question that flows on from that is, then who gets to do it? Who is it that we allow to bring correction and rebuke to our life? I've got a few thoughts for us this morning. Just three different uh, groups or, or people that could bring correction to our life. The first one is our friends. James 5 verse 19 to 20. Listen to this verse because I know for some people it's very challenging to think that we are meant to correct each other. And and sometimes we just say, that's God's job, not our job. But look what James says. He says, my dear brothers and sisters, if someone among you wanders away from the truth and is brought back, you can be sure that whoever brings the sinner back from wandering will save that person from death and bring about the forgiveness of many sins. Proverbs 27, 17 says, as iron sharpens iron, so a friend sharpens a friend. Now that verse sounds real nice, but many people believe that that verse in verse 27, sorry, in verse 17 of chapter 27 is just a reiteration and a rewording of a statement found previously in verse six of the same chapter in in 27 verse six that says, wounds from a sincere friend are better than many kisses from an enemy. In other words, truth from a trusted friend is better than support and encouragement to just YOLO and live your best life from someone that just tells you what you want to hear. Friends are meant to sharpen one another. It's part of God's design for us. And as believers, we have to be open to lovingly and graciously being corrected by our friends. You know, so often people say, hey, I'm not here to judge. I'm not here to judge. I just let them do them. And that's cool because we can't judge anyway. That's God's job. 
But as believers, we have been commissioned to call the best out of people, to speak life, to present truth, and to help guide each other. Iron sharpening iron means bits are chipped away and we're reshaped. But after that, we're sharper and more effective. Now, I'm not saying, all right, let's just get out there and start correcting each other, all guns blazing. But I am suggesting that maybe we need to be a little bit more open and appreciative when our friends are willing to have the hard conversation and bring correction to us. Maybe a healthy culture of correction starts with us being more open to receiving it. You know, when a friend says, hey, that's probably enough beers for tonight. Or I know you could have responded in that argument probably a little better. Or hey, I know revenge feels good, but you're better than that. Could we be humble enough to actually just take that on board instead of getting defensive? I love this quote, when proven wrong, a wise man will correct himself, but an ignorant one will keep arguing. It is godly and biblical to be corrected by our friends. If you're familiar with going to the gym, which I'm not, but I've heard of this, there's a saying that is, friends don't let friends skip leg day, right? Especially among guys, they just want to do their chest and arms every day. Like that's all they're interested. They just want to be bulky and buff. And it's easy to skip leg day because it's not glorious. Not many people are like, Nice legs, brother, right? It's usually, you notice what's up here. And so it can be tempting to skip leg day, but then you look disproportionate and silly. And so a friend would not allow a gym-going friend to go down that path, but he would remind him, you need to do leg day. Well, in the same way, friends don't let friends wander down unhealthy paths without saying something. We've got a little boy, little bossin. He was here. Oh, he's still there. I don't know where he went. Hey, dude. Um, he's just started calling. What a riot. Um, he loves beelining for the, the plug-in heater that we have to heat the lounge. Now, I've never seen the little monkey crawl so fast. Like, he's medium pace, but he goes fast pace the moment he sees we've left the room or turned our back for five seconds. He is straight for the heater. And so we make sure, because what we've decided to do is not just remove everything from the room, but we want to teach him that there are some things in the room that you can't touch. And so we'll allow him to play, but obviously we're mindful there. And as he makes his way towards the heater, we'll step in, we'll gently hold him back, and we'll explain to him that he can't touch that because it's going to hurt him. Now, a bad parent or a friend would just say, nah, I'm not here to judge, man. I'm not here to judge. You just do you. And even though he can't communicate it yet, I can assure you he's thankful for the correction. I couldn't let him get burnt. In knowing that, that wouldn't be care. That wouldn't be love. That's not what it would be, mean to be a friend or a parent. We need to be open and willing to be corrected by our friends. I think the takeaway here is not leave here going, great, so I need to correct my friends more. <laughs> Perhaps. But could we start the other end saying, I need to be first open to being corrected to my friends, believing they have my best interests in mind and not getting so defensive against that. All right, secondly, second uh, way we can be corrected is from the Word. And when I say the Word, I mean like the Word of God, the Bible, God's Word. When was the last time you read something in God's Word that challenged you? I mean, I do every time I read it, right? I read things that bring me peace. I read things that bring me hope. And then I also read things that rebuke and challenge me. Let's check out 2 Timothy chapter 3 from verse 16 to 17. Relatively famous portion of Scripture. It says, All Scripture is inspired by God and is useful to teach us what is true and make us realize what is wrong in our lives. It's like, oh, I thought it was just make, to make me feel good vibes, gather wisdom and be inspired. No, it's actually meant to show us what is wrong and to teach us to do what is right. It continues. It corrects us when we are wrong and teaches us to do what is right. God uses it to prepare and equip his people to do every good work. 
God's Word is meant to challenge us because it's alive and knows what we need to hear. It is the only book that is reading you while you're reading it. But what is our response when we come across a challenging Scripture? Do we read and we come across it and we go, oh, no, no, that must, that's one of those. That's, that's not relevant for today. That's one of those, that must be one of those old laws. We won't, no, don't worry about that one. Or do we get uncomfortable when we quickly flip to another page? We find something that's challenging. We go, that's it, abort mission, back to the Psalms. Like, um, <laughs> back to the streams and the rivers and the meadows. What is our response when we come across a challenging scripture? Because if a challenge is from God, you can be sure that as difficult as it is, it's out of a place of love. He wants you to grow. He wants you to learn. He wants you to develop. He's actually trying to get you to be holy as he is holy. I mean, here's an example. You might read Ephesians 5 verse 3 to 4. It says, let there be no sexual immorality impurity or greed among you. Such sins have no place among God's people. Obscene stories, foolish talk and coarse jokes, these are not for you. Instead, let there be thankfulness to God. Man, you read that, it's like corrected, rebuked, challenged. And our response to that needs to be, would I search my own heart? Are we defensive? Are we dismissive? Or maybe we could return to having that same joyful and grateful spirit about us where we welcome the truth no matter how difficult it is. See, God's word, both when we read it and when we hear it preached, is meant to challenge and correct us. When you feel defensive and dismissive, I want to let you know that's okay. Um, I hope it doesn't stay that way. But if you find yourself like that when you get challenges, okay, just rest there. Don't flee from it. Don't run from it. Don't make it this like completely avoidable feeling, just rest in it and process it. Experience that feeling and then take a moment to reflect not on what the person has said to you and what the words have said to you, but okay, what's God saying in all of that? Because we need to allow God's word to build us up, but to also mold, shape and refine us through correction. We've got to allow our friends to correct us. The word needs to correct us. And thirdly, um, the Holy Spirit. I don't know if you've experienced this, but God is incredibly patient with us as we mature to be more Christ-like. He's not just a superpower in the heavenly realms, but He's a close and personal God that dwells within believers as the Holy Spirit. And we often use the word, because it's hard to put words to deeply spiritual things, but we use the word sensing, um, which often just means that we're aware of the ways that God is prompting, nudging, and convicting. And how God is nudging and leading you will be very different to how he nudges and leads the person next to you in any given season. It's like a person, it's like Google ads, like OG. Like he knows what you need to hear and he personalizes it for you in that season. God is alive and at work within you. And on occasions, if you stop to listen and discern, you will sense that God is bringing correction. Listen, he's gentle, but he's clear. He is. Sometimes we don't like to accept that he's clear because it's a little straightforward for us. But you might get a nudging or a prompting that something like, hey, you know, hanging out with those friends is a bad idea. And you're like, yeah. Or, hey, that attitude towards your spouse needs to stop. And when we first experience God's grace and his love, I don't know if you remember this, like I remember this. There's such a deep hunger and desire to hear God's voice. I actually want to hear what my creator actually is saying to me. I want to know how he's directing me. I want to know how he's correcting me. But hearing God's voice means listening to his loving correction. It's responding humbly to redirection and it's trusting that his ways are above our ways. In fact, Romans 8.14 says, For all who are led by the Spirit of God are children of God. You know, the Bible is clear that part of our maturing process is to lean into godly correction from our trusted friends, from the Word of God, and from the Holy Spirit. 
And Paul says to the Galatians, have I now become your enemy simply because I'm speaking the truth? He's identifying that these believers who started with a joyful and grateful spirit have become defensive, dismissive, and carry a bad attitude towards correction. They no longer invite his preaching. And our attitude and response is so important. It's been said that our attitude determines our altitude. That's cheesy as, and I didn't want to say it. And yet it's so true, isn't it? Our attitude can determine our altitude. In our final minutes that we've got left, I just want to share two um, attitudes or perspectives that I think would be really um, helpful for us, really healthy for us. And the first one is this, I need to grow. This is for every single one of us. We must maintain this attitude and this perspective that I need to grow. Praise God that you're not where you once were, but you're also not yet where you could be. And every single one of us has areas to grow in. It might be your compassion towards others, your ability to share your God story, the management of your anger, the communication of your passions, your understanding of other worldviews, your ability to hear God's voice, your understanding of His Word. Maybe it's the mastering of your craft and your skill set to bring glory to God. And the greatest disqualifier of your future is this unhealthy attitude that I've already arrived. That you set up camp and you say, there's nothing more for somebody like me. You know, you hear things like, I've heard more sermons and you've had hot dinners. I've been leading this team for 20 years. I was here when the church was planted. I've been on 10 mission trips. I'm financially successful. That's cool. In fact, like that stuff's really cool. But have you asked God what's next? If you've heard that many sermons and yet you still carry unforgiveness in your heart to someone who's hurt you, there is room for you to grow. Maybe you've led the team for 20 years. That's phenomenal. Great faithfulness. But could you raise someone else up to lead the team? Because if you're a great leader, you can produce and develop other great leaders. You're financially successful, but are you also generous? You've got three kids, but are you present in their life? Have you passed on life's most important lessons to them? And here's the thing. Growing is also fun. It's fun to discover what you're capable of. It's fun to see God use you for things that are bigger than what you thought. It's exciting and fulfilling to overcome the barriers that once held you back. When I think of someone that embraces this so beautifully, I think of Wade Rowe, this amazing man sitting over here. Many of you know Wade. Uh, he helped lead uh, Low Party to be baptized a couple of weeks ago. Phenomenal. Wade has spent many decades ministering to others. He's led teams, and he's made a massive difference in the lives of so many people around him. Wade is 66. You would not believe it. Um, oh, that genuinely surprised me. And yet over the last 18 months, he's taken it on himself to mentor a handful of young adult men in our church. He meets up with them. He speaks life over them. He teaches them. He corrects them. And the greatest testimony of this whole thing are the wives of those young men that have formed the Wade Rowe fan club. <laughs> now, they haven't said that that's what it is, but I've noticed and I can see. It is the Wade Rowe fan club. They love how much their husbands have grown. But here's the key. Despite all that Wade has done, he said the other day that this season of ministry is one that has left him feeling the most fulfilled. After decades of ministering to others, at 66, he's in his greatest season yet. He's taken on the challenge because he knows there is plenty of life and impact left in him yet. I don't care how old you are. If you're in this place and if you're breathing, there is another step for you to take. Every one of us needs to grow. 
And when we believe that we've never arrived, that there's more to learn, that there's always another step right in front of us, receiving correction becomes easier. Maybe you need to go through the Alpha course to build a stronger foundation in your faith. Maybe today with our small group signups, you need to sign up to the marriage course to help build the greatest human relationship that God has gifted you with. Maybe you need to step out of your comfort zone. I know it's scary, but to step up and finally lead a small group like you know God has been prompting you. Come on, every single one of us, I need to grow. And second and final one is I can learn from everyone. Now, something I hear all the time is that we need to be really careful with those that we surround around us because their influence has a massive impact on our future. And it's true. In fact, that was partly what Darcy's message last week was about, and it was phenomenal. And at the same time, I feel like I need to say that it's important that we don't hone in our focus so narrow that we're very selective on who it is that we can learn from. Now, it doesn't mean we're inspired by, we follow or imitate every person around us, but we have to have an attitude that we can learn from every person around us. And Paul appeals to the Galatians asking, have I become your enemy simply because I'm sharing the truth? Be very careful not to mix the message with the messenger. You know the old saying, don't shoot the messenger. It's like, it's not the the messenger's fault when he delivers a bad message or bad news. He's like, I'm just doing my job. I've got nothing to do with the message. Well, the opposite is true too. Just because the messenger is bad or unexpected doesn't mean the lesson isn't valuable. I caught up this week with an amazing man in our church. His name is Ron. He's an amazing part of our our dream team here. And we were chatting away and he told me this really cool story. Now, Ron's a, a senior bank manager. He works in the world of finance every single day. And he was having a conversation with his nine-year-old daughter, Nikesha, and they were having a chat about, about making wise financial decisions, right? He lives the stuff, he breathes the stuff. He's trying to help coach his young daughter. I thought that was brilliant. And having a chat, and Ron told me he was sharing with his daughter about a mistake he had made a while back and how he wishes it had unfolded differently. And had it unfolded differently, they may have been in a stronger financial position today. And Nikesha, so politely, so innocent, looks up and just says, yeah, but God will always look out for you, right? And you can imagine as a father, Ron's like, oh, yes, (laughs) right. He was lovingly corrected by his nine-year-old daughter. And even though she was young, What she said was true. An amazing reminder from a great young lady that there are lessons to be learned from everyone around us. The old, the smart, the still developing. (laughs) The danger is that we immediately dismiss everything that someone says because we've disqualified them as a messenger. If she was right, and she was, there was a really valuable correction and reminder to be received. And if you truly want to grow, can I encourage you to keep your eyes open for lessons wherever you are. If you think you're above it, too important, too experienced to learn from every person around you, you will close yourself off to some of the most valuable lessons that you could learn. LJ, you can join me on keys. That'll be awesome. Part of my upbringing is that I was raised in a pretty abusive, chaotic, and unhealthy family environment with one parent. But if I'm to be honest... I learned so much from my mom. I learned really valuable lessons on what not to do. I learned how words can easily come out and cause hurt, but they cannot be taken back in. I learned that a home environment is huge and has a massive impact on young people. And if young people don't feel at peace and welcome in their home, things like study and relationships suffer. I learned that being a fully grown adult didn't automatically mean being mature. That even adults can wrestle with the struggles of their childhood and the hurts of their past for decades, if not properly dealt with. 
some of the most valuable lessons I've ever learned. Don't let a good message be tarnished by a bad messenger. Let's approach life's lessons from the people around us with a humble heart, where we're ready to learn both from our positive and our negative experiences. You know, at the heart of all correction is just a stronger, stronger, a stronger, healthier, more God-honoring you. When we're open to correction, we're open to a better tomorrow. And I absolutely love that God takes on this image as our heavenly Father. And I know not all of us in this room today have a great relationship or connection with our earthly Father, but I'd like to think that pretty much all of us have an idea of what a good Father's meant to look like. And our Heavenly Father is one who is filled with joy every time each of us make a decision or take a step to learn and grow. He created us with so much potential and He just wants to see us step into it. Being a people that are humbly open to correction, teaching and rebuke allows us to be overcomers. It allows us to be refined and reshaped so that our lives can count for something beyond what we see today. I want to pray for anyone here today. We're going to finish up now. Just anyone that's like, man, if I'm to be honest, I I do, I get defensive. Whether that's to people, I I avoid the challenging parts when I read the Bible. I get defensive when I hear challenging things preached. Maybe I I sense the Holy Spirit nudging me in certain ways, but I I just relegate that to a thought and I move on and I, I, I don't address it. God is speaking. He's nudging, He's correcting. Sometimes He needs to rebuke, but it's because He loves you so much. And I just wonder if we could return back to that place as Paul appealed to the Galatians, where is that joyful and grateful spirit that you once had to truth? Truth that refined you and molded you and made you a better you. Come on, why don't we just close our eyes? I'm not gonna get you to do anything physical, but you know if this is you. I want you just to open your heart to God this morning as I pray. Make this prayer your own. I'm going to pray for you. I want you to make this prayer your own from your heart. God, I just pray for every person in the room today. I thank you, God, that they have come so far from where they once were, and yet they're not yet where they could be. And as you continue to speak and mold and use people, the Word, the Holy Spirit, as you continue to use different methods and means to bring connection and nudging and prompting, God, would we be a people that would listen? Would we be a people that could go back to having a humble heart and a great attitude towards correction? I pray, God, that out of this, we would grow, we would mature, we would be more effective, more fruitful. Things would be better in our families, in our workplaces. God, we say, we are here, your servants, we're listening. Would you correct us as we humbly come before you again?